We're in week five of Healing the Orphan Spirit. If you're a first-time guest with us today, we're glad you're here. We'd love for you to check out the guest services information area to get some information from you, not so we can hound you, just so we can keep you updated on who we are, where we're going, who we're not, where we're not going. We have a vision night coming up soon. Just want to keep you aware of what's happening. There is a a special grace on uh, this scripture this morning for this house. And so if you would, if you just open up your hands like a little kid, I'm going to speak a blessing over us. In the name of Jesus, may we receive these words from the Father deep inside of our hearts. And may the spirit, the spiritual orphanhood thing, that, that spirit, may it be severed from this house and may the severing actually multiply into the nations. May this message of who we are in Christ multiply till kingdom come in Jesus' name. Amen. Five weeks ago, we talked about from the stage, what does it mean to be a spiritual orphan? What does that look like? So instead of being prophetic, I love the prophetic, I'm going to make it so practical, you have to hire someone to help you misunderstand it. And we talked about how King David made Jonathan a promise. King David was at the king's table. This table is a $10 table, or I don't know, $50 in the natural, but metaphorically, it's worth billions because. It's the king's table. It's where sons and daughters go to come home. It's where you're protected. It's where you have your identity. It's where your needs are met. It's where the very air you breathe is through the nostrils of your papa in heaven. It's where you find your security. There's nothing worse than I can think of than to have rights as a Christian, but because of my own ignorance. You know, ignorance and stupidity are not the same things. Because of my own ignorance, if I don't know my rights, then I don't know what's offered to me. That's why it says in Psalm 103, bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. There are benefits to being in Christ. But if you are unaware of those benefits, it's as though you don't have those rights. If, if you have a debit card that you didn't know was in your pocket and there was a billion dollars in an ATM waiting on you and, and on the card, it belonged to you. The PIN number was on there. But all you did was talk about what you don't have. At some point, somebody would say, you don't understand how this works. The kingdom is not as mysterious as people think. God is not as mysterious as people think. There are laws set up. There's kingdom laws set up. If you know who you are in Christ, you don't have to be over here in Lodibar, which was the land of barrenness. It's a, a desolate land. Even though I'm offered the rights to sit at the table, if I stay over here... Well, I just talk about what I don't have. And week one was don't stay in the land of barrenness. Come to the table. Everybody say, come to the table. <laughs> week two was very simple. Let's stop making excuses of why I'm not sitting at the table. Now, what does the table represent? The table represents deep intimacy and friendship with the Father, where I'm not striving to get his attention. To I really spend 99% of my prayer life just walking with him, I don't really ask for much. Because I'm so connected to him, goodness and mercy are actually following me. (laughs) If you're going after goodness and mercy, that means you're in Lodibar. Just get to the table and those things will chase you. Don't pray for favor. Believe for favor. Don't pray for an open heaven. Believe you have an open heaven. Oh, Father, you seem so silent. No, you need to get someone to pray for you to unclog your spiritual ears. 
He's not silent. He's very chatty. A lot of times we call God silent. He calls us hard of hearing. So week one's come to the table. Week two, stop making excuses. Let's say number two together. Stop making excuses. That one goes over well. All right, number three, believe the word. Zechariah gets a word and, and doubts it. It's a ginormous word. Mary gets a word and believes it. Both were ginormous. I don't care how many prophetic words you've been given. You've never been told that you're going to carry God in your belly. Mary heard the word and said, I believe it. Uh, a spiritual indicator of the reality that you are sitting at the table is that when words come, you just believe them. But orphans get the same words as sons and daughters do, but orphans just say, well, it can never happen to me because it's been 15 minutes since the word was given and it hasn't manifested. What sons do is they say, you know what, I don't care if it ever manifests, that's the word and I'll die on it. I'll just die on it. Because for a, a, son, a son and a daughter, the word from the father trumps the natural realm. Orphans only go by what they can see, taste, touch, feel, and hear. Sons go by what the word of God says. And I love prophetic words, but I love the written word more. And if we say, well, I just can't hear God right now, what we're saying is we can't read because we have all the words we need right there. We get to heaven one day and realize how much power was in that Logos. So week one is come to the table. Week two, stop making excuses. Week three is believe the word. Let's say believe the word. Number four, here it goes. Last week, he ministered from his dependency. Sons and daughters, they don't boast in how strong they are. They only minister through the dependency they have on Papa, who's at the table. But one of the great sins in this generation is self-reliance. And so we say words that try to act like we're sons and daughters, but we rely upon ourselves and we don't operate from dependency. And that's why we burn out left and right. And that's why we bounce from spouse to spouse looking for that other spouse to make us happy. That's why we bounce from job to job. And let me say this, it's why people bounce from church to church. Because we become consumers and we want a church to meet all of our needs, to just meet my needs. Instead of saying, I'm going to find a church and just give my life to it and commit in the good and bad times. Orphans and sons use the same language. The fruit on the tree is very, very different. And so in this one is, he ministered from a place of dependency. Let's say that. He ministered from a place of dependency. Because Jesus didn't just operate in power out of his divinity. He couldn't have. Because in Philippians 2, it was very simple. He became a servant of all. He did not do any miraculous works for 30 years. Receives the Holy Spirit and then he acts in power. Why? Because he learned to abide better than anyone. And then he said, just as I have done Philip, you go do that too. There's nothing more powerful than abiding. And today's week five. And I'm really excited about it because this is what the Father is showing me. I did read two books on uh, this concept, but I didn't get any of the sermons for this concept. The way this sermon came was right after a morning set, a worship set last week, and I went and sat on the, the swing at Awanata, and the Father said, read Galatians 1 and 2. And I just started reading Galatians 1 and 2, and it just popped out to me. Because when you're at the table, you don't have to strive for 40 hours for sermon prep. You just say, Father, what's on your mind? You can get more of a download in three minutes as a leader from your father than 10,000 hours of leadership training from someone who's not abiding themselves. I want, to, I want fresh manna, but I don't want to be a parasite. I don't want to live off the blood of another Christian. I want to live off manna from my father's hand. And see, manna in the Old Testament tasted bad. Manna in the New Testament it, uh, this new covenant, it, it's filet mignon. When you get manna from Papa, it doesn't taste bad. 
And the more he gives you, the more you want. That's why the reason so many people don't walk with the Father is because they're not connected to him. Believing in the Father and connecting to the Father are two totally different things. Orphans believe that they're a God and they're going to heaven when they die. Spiritual sons, death is not a big deal because you're just going to pass into the afterlife and continue the conversation that you're already having. What if your entry into heaven was anticlimactic for how much intimacy you were building? What if on your deathbed your conversation just continued? You say, what are you talking about? You can get so deeply connected to the table that sometimes it's hard to even listen to all this negativity in the world. Okay. So in Galatians 1, let's go there now. Paul gives, I believe, four indicators of what it means to be a son and a daughter. When I say son, I mean daughter. When I say daughter, I mean son. Does that make sense? So if you travel to the east, orphans are everywhere. Those without a home, children without a home. In the west, our churches are full of spiritual orphans. Even in mega ministries in America, you really don't need God to blow a ministry up. All you need is a slick presentation, some good music, and a lot of money to market. Jesus only focused on three things while he was here. Taught the kingdom, he healed the sick, and he delivered people. At Bridgeway, we don't want to do what the world does to come successful. We want to focus on the three things Jesus did. And in order to walk, I'm going to make this so simple. In order to walk in power to the degree in which Paul walked, it's not mysterious how he got there. It wasn't through his anointing. It wasn't through his Damascus Road experience. If the goal of your life is to seek encounters, you are wasting your time. I have never seen an encounter transform someone long term. Ever in my life. Ever. But I have seen the message of abiding transform someone forever. Encounters and abiding are two different things. I don't ever seek for an encounter. I seek for the Father. And encounters happen. I'll talk about Tuesday night at youth camp at some point. So here we go. Saul is a madman. It is no different from ISIS. He is literally walking around murdering Christians. Not just arresting them. He's killing them. It, he was terrifying people. Even the apostles, when they heard that Saul had gotten converted, wouldn't, they refused to believe it. It would be the equivalent of someone that was in ISIS three months ago wants to come speak on the stage. You would be like, there's no way I could listen to him. Saul was a murderer. <laughs> he, was, he was killing people. He's on the road to Damascus to defend his faith because he was so zealous. Which proves that a zealous, a zealous attitude that is misdirected is so dangerous misdirected passion is demonic. It leads to destruction. I can't just lead my whole life based upon what, how passionate I am. I have to lead my whole life based upon how much I'm abiding to the truth of who Father is. And then once I get that truth, then my passion comes from there. That's why Jesus says, you shall know the truth, the truth will set you free. Truth is the only thing that sets anyone free. So here's Saul. He has a, to call it radical conversion is an understatement. The God of the universe blinds him for three days. And the first thing out of Saul's mouth is, who are you, Lord? Then <laughs> Jesus says, why are you persecuting me? Now, this is the person that would write most of the New Testament. Besides Jesus, I've never read of anyone that walked in a level of power in the kingdom of God in my life than this man. I believe he's the second most important person to ever walk on the earth uh, besides Jesus. Uh, basically, Paul's letters have changed the globe. And so here we are in Galatians, and Paul starts off, and he says this. Paul, an apostle sent not from men nor by a man. Why is he saying that? 
He, let me tell you what orphans like to do. Orphans like to tweet all the time about who they're with. They're always trying to show you who they're with, who they're hobnobbing with. Uh, a spiritual orphan loves to get the approval of another person. It's what, it's, it is like at the core of a spiritual orphan, we yearn to please someone else. Perhaps even someone who died 30 years ago who's not even on the earth anymore. It can haunt us like a ghost that we're trying to please this thing we've created in our minds. We try to please a worker. And here's what happens. It becomes exhausting. I think it's incredible that he starts off, the first thing he says is, not sent from men nor by a man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. I love this. He doesn't just say God. He's talking about Jesus and the Father. Your prayer life and spiritual formation will explode when you stop thinking of God as one. C.S. Lewis said this, God is triune. He's not just one. Elohim's the plural form of God. When Elohim creates man, he is surrounded by the Trinity. And Paul says, my assignment and my message didn't come from another man. Why is this such a big deal? I want you to watch what he says in the rest of Galatians 1. Let's go to verse 2. And all the brothers and sisters with me to the churches in Galatia, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age according to the will of God and our Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Verse 6. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live into the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Why did they turn to a different gospel? This is no different than when Aaron turned to the people and obeyed the people rather than God and Moses who were on top of the mountain. Typically, we start in the right direction and then the approval of man comes in and we start following a different message and we wonder why we're just off track. The reason Paul was so successful was not just because of his anointing. King Saul was anointed And 20 years after he lost the approval of God, he was still king. It lasted 20 years. I don't want to be anointed for a specific task. I want to be connected to the one anointing. King Saul still had the anointing on him, but so did King David. And you watch Saul fall away by the wayside. Paul is saying to Galatians, why are you going astray? What's going on here? Who has gotten your attention other than the lover of your soul? And then he goes off. I love this. Verse 8. He's a terrifying person, but he's a great person. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. As we have already said, so now I say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than the what you accepted, let them be under God's curse. Am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or God? Let's get real. Let's just get really real. Whose approval? I'm asking myself this. Whose approval do you want? I can tell you for me, the growing borderline obsession in my life is when I cross the other side, I could, I could care less about this stuff. I want him to look me in the eyes, and I want to look in his eyes, and I want to say, to the best of my ability, I was obedient to what you called me to do. The highest mark of sonship, there is no other higher mark than this in daughtership, is to the degree in which you are humbly obedient, not to strive to get his attention, but you were obedient because that's how close you are. There's a reason Paul's saying this. Paul's saying it to a group of people who were obsessed with the opinions of other people minus what Jesus preached. Now, what did Jesus preach? This is incredible here. 
Okay, I know this is going to rock your world, my Jewish nation. But this unclean, clean thing, it's a different message now. I know you've been trying to avoid dirty things for so long. Now this message is going to go to the Gentiles. And the church in Galatia was going, wait a minute, we're going to tweak this. You want to know who even tweaked the message of Jesus? Peter, the person he threw the keys over to, to the church. In about 12 verses from now, Peter and Paul are going to get into it. Paul confronted the lead apostle of the church because Peter started going astray. So you know what Paul did? Paul opened his mouth and spoke truth. It's not always wisdom to remain silent. And this is pretty remarkable to me. Peter walked with Jesus three years. Paul never walked with him, but Paul was more obedient to the message of Christ than Peter was. Please get this. Y'all just staring at me on this. Paul had one thing in common with Jesus that the other disciples didn't. I have never read this before. I've never thought about it till right now. Paul lived for the approval of God more than anyone you can read about throughout all of Scripture. I think this is why when he took the beatings, it wasn't even that big a deal to him. Because the deeper you're connected to the table, he can prepare a feast for you in the presence of your enemies. But the moment you start looking to get the applause of man, the whole thing just gets messed up. That's what Peter did. Paul will not stop talking about it. He goes, am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. Jesus' number one disciple is listening to him say this. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel I preached is not of human origin. Why is he continuing to say where it came from? You've got to get to a place where that realm, is, that realm is more real to you than this realm. Next verse. I did not receive it from any man. Why is he continuing to say this? Some of you have such huge assignments on your life in here. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make this just really simple. You do not need anyone to make them come to pass other than your father. Who is Jesus' marketing agent? I'm not sure. There's no printing press. Why do we feel the need to always tweet about where we are and what we're doing in the name of God or what God's doing in our business? What if every breakthrough you got, you just put it right back at the feet of Jesus? What if the goal of your life was to be obedient to him, not to get the approval of people? And by the way, I'm not talking about it in a belligerent way where you say, well, I don't care what people think about it. Everyone cares what people think. I'm not talking about going out of bounds on this. I'm just saying that Paul continues to say, my calling didn't come from me. My message didn't come from me. It did not come from another man. He gets really... Uh, blunt here watch this Um, he says who he receives it from I received it revelation from Jesus Christ verse 13 for you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers but when God who set me apart from my mother's womb and called me by his grace was pleased To reveal his son in me that I might preach among the Gentiles. My immediate response, please get this, was not to consult with any human being. What if when God was giving you revelation, instead of going to other people, you just went straight back to him? We all go through these cycles. I remember 15 years ago, 10 years ago, when something was happening with me, I just felt like I was supposed to share it. Why do you think Jesus said, don't ever throw your pearls down before swine? What if the only goal of your life was to share experiences with the Father and then when he allowed you to release these experiences, then you did that? What if you just sought his approval? And by the way, I'm talking out of love, not striving, not law, not legalism. 
Obedience is not difficult when you're in love. <laughs> I, okay. I did not go up to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before I was. But I went into Arabia. Why did he go into Arabia? He went to, into Arabia to get into a cloister with Jesus. It was him and God in the Arabian desert for three years. Three years? There's a track record with God. When he calls you to something great, he desires to pull you close to himself. Spiritual sons and daughters live for the banqueting table where it's you and the Father. But if you get out in this no man's land, out here away from the table, you find yourself trying to elevate yourself, make yourself seem smarter than you really are. Talk about all this breakthrough. What if you just never talked about breakthrough of what was happening in your life the rest of your life? You just let people eat fruit from your tree. And I'm talking about in business and everything. What if you began to mentor others, not because you marketed it, but they said, hey, there's so much fruit on your tree. Would you mind if I just learn from you for a while? And then you really had to think through, well, how is it that this happened? If you can explain how everything is happening in your life right now in the arena of breakthrough, something's wrong. Because if I can explain it, I can take credit for it. Competency is way overvalued. God of the universe, if he's your best friend, you are connected to him, can give you more breakthrough in 15 seconds than 15 years of training. Now, I'm a believer in both. I'm a believer in both. But what I am noticing, especially for this generation, we don't want to go to Arabia. We want to, we want to go to where the crowds are. We want to network. We want to get connected to people who can elevate us. Mr. Ari Littlejohn was a mentor to my dad. And Mr. Ari always believed this. If you will help enough people in life that can do nothing for you, get to where you need to be, God will always bless you. Why is it that we only want to post pictures of important people we're with? Why do we name drop? Why can't we just get cloistered? Why can't we just get with the Father and say, Father, I'm not even praying for breakthrough. I'm just praying for more intimacy with you. And I pray that everything I'm putting my hand to, that you would just show me not just how to do this, but when to do this, to be in your rhythm. The Father loves obedience. You want to know why? Because it's the proof of the number one thing that's in his heart. He desires a family. And if my son Sam and Ruthie and Jack, if they're disobedient the rest of their lives, what kind of fruit is that on the tree? I love to not talk uh, about much when it comes to seeing how a child is growing. Like what a parent is saying doesn't mean as much as what the child is saying. And you can lead like Adolf Hitler and scare kids to death and they just have to stay close to you because they're afraid you'll hurt them. Or you can lead by love and give them freedom and give them boundaries and say, I'm not a perfect parent at all, but I, I want a relationship with you. A true healthy parent just wants a relationship with their children. They don't want robots. Something's wrong if you want robots. Well, that's the way the father is. The father loves obedience. Why? Let's ask the question, why? Why is it that he loves obedience? Because it's evidence that you got deep friendship with him. He's not striving to turn you into a worker bee or a robot. As a matter of fact, Paul would say at the end of his life in Philippians 3, he's in a jail cell, last thing he would ever write. He said, I want to know you in the power of your resurrection. I left my wedding ring in my golf bag yesterday with Sammy. I usually touch the wedding ring when I say this. But gnosko was the word for no. It was a Jewish idiom for intimacy inside the context of marriage. And what Paul was saying there, I just want to know you, Jesus. He was about to die saying that. He, he, was, he was about to leave his body when he said that. Why was Paul so obedient? Because he was so in love. Sons and daughters are in love with him. Orphans are stri striving to get his attention. You don't need anybody to get you anywhere you need to be other than him. 
And you know what he'll do? He'll push pause in my life for a door to open if my attention ever goes somewhere else because he's just trying to get me to him. It's where I belong. Paul keeps going. He returned to Damascus for what? After three years, I went up to Jerusalem to get acquainted with Cephas and stay with him 15 days. It's remarkable to me that Paul goes to Simon Peter three years after the conversion, not immediately. Because God was his source for three years and he'd be a source forever. (laughs) I saw none of the other apostles, only James, the Lord's brother. I assure you before God that what I am writing to you is no lie. Then I went to Syria and Sicilia. I was personally unknown to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. Isn't it interesting that he was an unknown, but God got him to where he needed to be. (laughs) What do you need to get to where you need to be? You need Papa. Are y'all listening? What are you, what do you need to see breakthrough in your business? You need Papa. Well, I haven't been in school. I haven't been in Dale Carnegie school. I stutter when I speak. Well, then you fit in with all the biblical characters. This rabbi was so unusual that Simon Peter was an expert fisherman. I'm talking probably a wealthy fisherman. They fished all night and couldn't catch anything. And this rogue rabbi said, throw it out the other side of the the boat. And Simon Peter said, we've been fishing all night. I mean, he's telling an expert this. And Jesus doesn't say anything else. And Simon does it. And when he does, the nets break. I would rather have the favor of the Father than the approval of one million people in no favor. You know, at Bridgeway, we don't want you to come here to get involved in programs. We want you to come here for God. There's one calling on this house to show people how you can build deep friendship with the Father. And do that through the context of the bridge between the Word and the Spirit. When you find Him, you find everything. And by the way, I'm not talking about Jesus. Jesus is the bridge to the Father. You come to Jesus so He can take you to the Father. Not take you to heaven, take you to the Father. The prophetic at Bridgeway is not that big a deal. It's not hokey pokey. It's not weird. It's just conversations with your best friend, the Father. And He says, my sheep shall know my voice. When you sit at the King's table, the prophetic becomes natural. We don't want this place to be. There's no desire on leadership that you come here on Sunday mornings to get a word. You should be coming here to give a word. This is just a time for us to celebrate together. Because orphans are always looking for another word, another word. Get your word at the table. Taste your own filet mignon. Learn how to make your own sauce. There comes a point where you don't need a word from somebody else. You need to be giving words. You need to be the one feeding. There there are stages of growth. But if Sam Norris is in the same stage at 22 that he is at 13, we're going to have to have a talk. We should be elevating to the place of sonship to the day we die. You say, well, I'm an introvert. I'm not wired that way or I'm just a teacher. Listen, I'm, talking, I'm not talking about fivefold. I'm talking about spiritual gifts. I'm talking about sonship. And the Father has never and never will control the level of sonship I have with him. I'm going to keep reading Paul here. They only heard the report. The man who formerly persecuted us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they praise God because of me. I'll stop there. Paul didn't see it coming. It wasn't his idea. Paul had no idea. He had no clue that some guy 2,000 years later would be standing here talking about his letters to these churches. It was just a letter to a church. How do you not know right now that what you're putting your hand to, you have no marketing strategy for, but how do you not know that it's going to influence nations? 
How do you not know that your story, your story can touch a ton of people? And what I notice is that this celebrity spirit that's entered the church, we want to try to market our own stories for influence. If you run towards a stage, it will run from you. If you run towards Papa, you will have more influence on accident than you never did on purpose. You know what kids are starving for from their parents? They're not starving for parents to teach them all the important things. They're just starving for a parent to model what it looks like to be a son, not an orphan. You want to do tremendous damage to your kid? Raise them as a spiritual orphan yourself. You know what what sons do as parents? They don't always get it right. And when they mess up, they say, you know what? I'm still a work in process, but praise God I'm not an orphan anymore. There should be fruit on the tree at some point that this isn't a theoretical conversation. And the biggest indicator of sonship that I have seen is that you desire the approval of the Father more than people. (laughs) So Jesus is tempted three, three ways in the desert. He's tempted through his appetite, through his ambition. But that third one, he is tempted with approval. The difference in Moses and Aaron is this. Moses says, Aaron, what, what have you done? Well, we made some gold statues because the people said that's what they needed. You want to know why Saul got his throne taken away from him? He turned to other people. God's silence in my life is not to hurt me. It's actually to groom me. When he's being silent, what I do is I just snuggle up to the table. Perhaps he's being silent to build a deeper reservoir in me so that when he pulls that lid back, there's more water that can get through. So the the question that I wrote down this morning, and we'll end here. Do they matter more than them? They being Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Elohim. probably the happiest I've ever been in my life. I, I, I went through enough depression. I'm tired of that. I don't want to do that anymore. That was back in the day. But do you ever think about your own death? Not in a morbid way. We, um, we had an exercise at youth camp this week where we just had a prayer exercise where we thought about our own funerals. Spiritual sons don't fear the end because they know it's not the end. Orphans get petrified the closer they get to death. My, my grandmother had a tremendous influence on my life and she was sitting in a hotel room and I said, are you scared to death? Are you scared to die? And she looked at me as though literally something was wrong with me. And she said, no, sweetie. Like, why would you ask me that? Well, that's not a common phrase because a spiritual orphan is like, I just don't know what's going to be on the other side. I'm going to tell you what's going to be on the other side. The same voice you know here is the same voice there. I'll close with this. I got a prophetic word this morning that a lot of you, a lot of us, we don't have these steel walls that we need to get through to break free. Have you ever seen the football team run out from the tunnel in high school and they run through paper? Your breakthrough is about the size of paper. One small shift in thinking can create an avalanche of favor of sonship, daughtership in your life. You better listen. So how, how do you get there? Do I beg for it? No, you change the way you think. If all of my thoughts have gotten me to Lodi Bar, it might be time to change my thoughts. <laughs> Where do I get my thoughts from? I get it from the word itself. You want to be a giant killer? Then hang out with people who are already killing giants. You want to be a person that has the word operating in you? Find someone that has the word operating in them and hang out with them. I'll become whoever I hang out with. That's just the way it is. I love being around people. There is a friend of mine. I'm not kidding you. He texted me this morning. 
during my first sermon about a scripture. Whenever I'm around this person, all is just, it's conversations on him. You might be blind now, but you don't have to be blind long. If you believe what I'm saying, come to the table. But the way you get to this table and stay at this table, the, this is the biggest one of all eight weeks. You have to be more concerned with the approval of the father than you do of people. That includes your spouse and your kids and your own parents. Now, I'm not saying dishonor your parents. I'm not saying that at all. The father says honor your parents. But remember when Mary went looking for Jesus, couldn't find him, and he was talking to a bunch of people, and she said, tell the Lord, tell him that his mom is here. What was the Lord's response? You go tell her that I am with my mother and my father and my brothers and my sisters. Well, what's that all about? Because the message that the Heavenly Father was downloaded to Jesus, his family now was going to take on a new meaning. It was beyond the scope of nuclear family. He was introducing this idea of family on mission. You may have been told your whole life that God makes people sick and Jesus makes people sick. You know what you need to do? You don't need a cleansing prayer. You need to change the way you think. Ask yourself this question. Did Jesus ever make anyone sick? Did Jesus ever make anyone sick? So you got pastors now with churches exploding, preaches that Jesus gets comfort in your misery. Okay, a small problem. He never made anyone sick. So how do you get to the level of sonship? Do you need prayer? No, you need to change the way you think. This is all Paul talks about. Metanoia, metanoia, the Greek idea for repentance, change the way you think. I'm going to ask our prayer servants to come down. And the invitation this morning is very, very simple. If you struggle with the issue of the approval of man, and it's beyond a normal thing, like you just really need to repent of that, I'm going to ask you to come down today and get prayer for this. If you desire to care more about the approval of your heavenly father than even your earthly father, your earthly father's father, your teammate, your schoolmate, your coworker, your son. You know, I mean, I, I really do not desire my kids to not approve of me, but I'm telling you, as God is my witness, I care way more about what my heavenly father thinks. So let's stand together. In the name of Jesus, may you be brave enough to garner the approval of the one that will be waiting on you on the other side than you do someone down here. May there be a radical shift in you that you seek to please the one, not the many. May Father, Son, Holy Spirit be your source of approval from this day forward. If you need prayer this morning, please come down. If not, God bless and we will see you next week.